Welcome to Conversations with Connors. I'm your host, Adam Connors. Prior to my conversation with Brandon Steiner, I had the opportunity to hang around his office, which is, by the way, one of the coolest offices I've ever been to for a variety of reasons. For the record, I've I've been to hundreds. The office just has a great vibe, people are happy, and it's very apparent that his staff adores him. You see, Brandon is a true leader that has executive presence and purpose. He's hard charging about making himself a better person and constantly reinventing himself. As you'll hear him say, it's not easy and it takes time. In regard to our conversation, I recommend that you pull up a chair, tune in, and get ready to listen to a man that is entertaining, informative, and fun. Today's podcast delivers high energy and high value content. This is an action-packed hour that entails everything from Brandon's challenging childhood, funny stories, worldly quotes, and life philosophies that have obviously served him well. Brandon is a man that doesn't mince words, takes great pride in being spiritually rich, and makes no bones about his interest in making money. He is a capitalist that is living the American dream. He shares with us a plethora of good quotes like, always remember who you are and where you're from and try not to change. Remember it's the person that you are that got you where you are. Dream big, sample small, and fail quick. And probably my favorite of his quotes was, do as much as you can for as many people as you can, as often as you can, and expect nothing else. During the conversation, he openly shares how he's all about serving and creating value for others. We get into the importance of a good mentor, the value of relationships, and how with power and authority comes responsibility as well as accountability. He discusses the people that he admires and what he's learned from them. We also get into his new book, Living Your Life on Purpose. According to Brandon, it's the roots underneath the trees and you can't be stopped if you have a purpose. Brandon's made a great fortune of collecting memorabilia. However, outside of his family, it's the collection of people that he is most proud of. Enough of me talking. Listen for yourself. We are ready to rock and roll. I am fortunate enough to be sitting alongside Brandon Steiner, Steiner Sports. There are so many labels that I could probably throw at you, and I'd love to know if you, if there's one in particular that you prefer, whether it's author whether it's founder of Steiner Sports, whether it's father, whether it's, I mean, we can it's keep going. It's all good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was <laughs> happy to have the conversation. Looking forward to it, Adam. And, you know, I don't get crazy with the titles and everything. I always kind of laugh when, it seems like in the last bunch of years, you know, a lot of more employees recently have come in and, you know, can they get a title? Uh, I'm like, I don't know, what title do you want? <laughs> because I'm still going to look at you the same way with your VP, director, associate manager you're only as good as the value that you bring into this company on a day-to-day basis and that value is defined by what you can do for this company that this company can't do for itself then the more you could do that we can't do without you the more valuable you are so you want to throw a title in there you think it makes you feel more valuable okay if that makes you feel valuable i can give you a little gold star too every now and then you can put that on your lapel but at the end People are moved by people that bring value in every day uh, to what they do in every relationship, whether it be work or a team you're coaching. You know, what's the value you bring to your team? And um, I think a lot of people don't think along the lines of value. They think along times because they've been working somewhere for a long time or because they have a relationship with a boy or a girl for a long time that 
that makes that relationship valuable. I mean, I think it's nice to have longstanding relationships, but valuable relationships are really supersede that. Mm-hmm. And valuable relationships mean that you need to bring value. It's not the value you can get by being in this relationship. It's the value you can give. And I think that a lot of employees and managers or you know people that sometimes they lose their minds a little bit, not realizing that every day you need to bring some value in and try to increase your value. And that really makes you, I think, a rock star that doesn't necessarily need a title. Oh, great, great answer. You know? Tell me about the traits that, that are valuable to you. Well, I mean, we were talking, Adam, earlier about, you know, that people don't get it. And I was just thinking about that as you were saying. I was like, I, I think people get it. I just don't think they give it. I, I mean, I, I think people get it really good. It's all about the get. And I think it's all about the give. And that's me. Like, I, I think at this point, I've been blessed. I've had a lot. I've not had a lot. You know, I've grown up with really little. And it's all kind of part of the soup. But, you know, to me, the best is there's nothing better than giving it. And uh, there's nothing better than sharing it and paying it forward. I think it's the best joy that one can have. I think it's been incredibly exciting, the process, when you have nothing and you're just trying to become uh, relevant, trying to figure out how you, where you can make the world a little better or how you can find a business or something you're really in, in love with and kind of get it to stick. Like 30 years at Steiner is probably me. You know, that's what says it. I'm, I'm a loyal guy. I'm a guy who sticks to it, but I'm not stupid. I don't get stuck on stupid. I mean, I've had some really stupid stuff happen over the 30 years <laughs> that I wish I hadn't stuck, got so stuck on. But I'm glad I got stuck on Steiner Sports, but I wasn't glad I got stuck on some of the different things we did here over the years that I you know, maybe stayed with too long. And that's why I say to people is like, you know, don't get stuck on stupid. Just because you have an idea doesn't mean it's you have to stay with it for the rest of your life. And that could be a relationship, a friendship. A lot of these things are not meant to be for the long haul, and it's okay. Uh, and then some of them are meant to be for the long haul. And that's where the thinking part gets put in. Um, and that's where, you know, for me, that's me. I, I think I'm the same guy that I was, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I, I don't feel like I've changed that much. You know, I've got a slightly nicer car, a little bigger house. I get a better hotel room. But generally speaking, I'm the same guy. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't walk around here and tiptoe around. I, I get into it with people. You know, I fight and uh, every day to figure out what else. I possibly give and get from my customer to get them to go, wow, love that company, Steiner. I, mean, I can't believe what they just did or who I got to meet or whatever. So that, that's kind of me. I like the wow factor. That's kind of how I visualize myself in a business sense. I think, you know, my family is no question, you know, my best success that I probably have had, you know, growing up in a single parent in a really dysfunctional home and to have somewhat of a functional home now that we all still get along. I still like my wife. I happily married God, I like to say, and uh, a very happy parent. You know, I think my kids are just amazing. And I, I really like my kids. I like the direction they've taken for themselves. Geez, I would have done more from them if I knew they were going to be this independent and do so well on their own. I would have done more and spoiled them more when they were kids. But so proud of them. And I give my wife a lot more of the credit than me. But, you know, both of us, we teamed up. I think we put out a good product with our three kids. And uh, I think that's the best success that I probably have had. Agreed. Agreed. Wow. As you were talking, so many different questions were running through my brain. You touched on so many things. You know what? I wouldn't consider you, you know, again, not that we know each other that well, but I would not have gotten the impression that you get stuck on something. You seem very progressive. Uh, The environment here is progressive. Uh, Just being in the studio with you, it's a more progressive uh, studio, not to mention the fact that you are 
you know, that you're doing video, that you're doing these podcasts yourself, it, it's still new. So when you talk about being stuck, do you mind getting specific? Is there anything in particular? Well, I mean, there's two parts to that answer. I think me being progressive, being, realized that, you know, I was stupid. You know, I woke up one day, I'm like, Brandon, you are becoming extinct quickly. You need to go and not talk about it. You need to learn about it and do it. So, you know, I found some young kids that knew a lot more than I did. And as many kids as I've mentored and still mentor, and I do mentor a lot of people uh, and try to help them, with, whether it be life coach or a business coach, whatever it is, I enjoy doing that. But I've had some kids step up and, and mentor me and coach me and show me a lot of things that I, was, I wasn't even on the boardwalk, let alone on the sand, let alone in the beach, let alone in the water. I'm not far off. I mean, and I've never been a great tech kind of guy anyway, but I've really forced the issue to learn how to get on camera more often. I've always been comfortable on camera, but not on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis. But that's the best way I can communicate with my customers. And I knew I needed a change. And then learning how to, you know, getting on Instagram, Twitter, and all that sort of thing is now part of my DNA. It's part of what I do every day. My wife's like, what are you doing? I said, well, first of all, I'm sitting here watching this stupid program with you for an hour that is pretty much next to being dead. I'm watching this program because in two days, I'm not going to remember even watching it. So I'm on my social media while I'm watching this program, you know, whether it be a scandal or Homeland or I mean, some really good TV out there, I got to admit. So I do like the stuff. I'm not punished by sitting and watching TV. I enjoy it, but I'm also realizing that it's a little bit of dead time. As I've realized with watching all the games I watch, I mean, I go to over 100 games a year. I'm watching hundreds of games. I mean, it's a lot of games. I've watched a lot and gone to a lot of sporting events, but I also realize that it's dummied me down. So I've tried to minimize that and multitask while I'm doing so uh, because I know pretty much what's going to happen in most games that I watch and go to at this point. I got a pretty good sense. Um, I don't need the sound on. I, I, I mean, I've been to enough, not in every sport, but in a few sports, I got a pretty good handle. So I think it's really important. I mean, I've gotten stuck on stupid you know, a bunch of times, I mean, with a talent evaluation, you know, hiring people and then staying with them too long is, is one of the worst things that anybody running a company could do. And I'm, you know, I'm guilty. If that was the case, I'd probably be in jail. I don't know about a life sentence, but I'd be away for quite a while. Um, I, I think that sometimes you get stuck on a product idea that you, you know, it's because you came up with it or because it just seemed like a no brainer, but you know, there's a big difference between coming up with an idea and executing it and you can't get stuck on it. You know, you dream big. I would say dream big, Sample small and fail quick. Mm. I love those three things. I mean, I, I'm a big dreamer, but now I'm a sampler, much more of a sampler, and I'm also not afraid to fail quick. The worst thing is when you're in this relationship, whether it be with a product or an employee or a girlfriend or boyfriend, friend, is that you know you dream big, you got this big aspirations, and then all of a sudden you're in this thing for 10 years, and you realize it was over seven years ago. I mean, life's short, you know what I mean? So, and it's okay to dream big and it's okay to fail. Failing is not the opposite of succeeding. It's a huge part of it. I can't tell you how some of my failures have led me to even greater success than ever imagined. And uh, that's the thing that I've now learned to take those failures and pick myself up, certainly, which is what anyone will tell you, but also dive right back into even a deeper part of the pool now that you know better. Mm, well said. How long have you had this giver's mentality? Did the light switch go off? Is it in your DNA? What? I think it's a lot about the way my, my mom raised me. I mean, I was in Brooklyn, and you know, Brooklyn is a fourth largest city. I want people to understand that Brooklyn is not just another town or city. It's a big place. We were in downtown where we went and shopped once a year. We get our welfare check, and we go down to a place called Mays. Next door to Mays was Woolworths. 
Woolworths, who's now out of business, was a really discount shopping place. But Mays was where you put the closeouts. You didn't go. I never knew there was a dressing room until I went to college. You bought stuff off of, it was a closeout, it was dumped on a table, and you were paying 10 cents on a dollar. And that's how we got up my wardrobe for the year. I never bought clothes after September to go back to school. Next time I bought clothes was next September. So anyway, we go, we got our welfare check, and I was really looking forward to this because you go to Woolworths and you would pop a balloon. And in that balloon was the price you would pay for the banana split. So it could be anywhere from a penny all the way up to a dollar. And of course, you know, being you know, a kid, I want to win. I'm thinking maybe I get a banana split for a penny. So we all love going to Woolworths for the little uh, cafeteria they had there. And then we go into Mays, and then we pick out some of the stuff that fits. So we go into Woolworths and uh, get my banana split. Now we're getting out. We're going ready to go to Mays. And there was a homeless person sitting on the floor with a bucket in front of him collecting money. My mother took a dollar out of her wallet and put it into the beggar's bucket. And I then right behind her went into that bucket and took the dollar out and put it in my pocket. My mother's like, what are you doing? I'm like, we can't afford to give this person a dollar. And my mother stopped and looked at me and said, why? Why, why, why do you think that? I said, because we need that money. I said, yeah, but can you not see that that poor homeless person needs that dollar too? I said, yeah, but that homeless person could go out and work. That person, homeless person could be more productive. Why should they just be able to sit there and beg? And my mother said, listen, I'm going to tell you one lesson. I'm going to tell you this only one time, one time only, is that when you give, give to give. There's another person up there on another day that will be the judge. Don't give to judge. Give to give. If you can, if that person is asking, let's assume that they need the help. It's not for us to judge whether they need the help or not. And it's a deep lesson to learn at, uh, at eight or nine years old. You know, um, it's a deep lesson to learn, but it's a true lesson because we all do it. Well, I would give to that charity. I'm not sure where the money's going. You know, I was going to help that person, but, you know, that person doesn't really need it. Or we all get so opinionated about giving. And the fact of the matter is, and this is a Harvey McKay thing that I really got going literally in my early 20s, which is do as much as you can for as many people as you can, as often as you can, and expect nothing back. And I think the real grown-up, the real give to give is, is about giving. Where What would you do for someone, Adam, that you knew couldn't do anything back for you? And that's really the question I ask so many people. You want to talk to me about your character. What would you do for a person that you knew there was no way that person could do anything back for you? And a lot of people have an empty answer. So when you say people don't get it, I'm like, oh, they get it. They don't give it. They don't understand about how to give it and the value of giving it, especially when you give it with no, you know, unconditional. And what I would say, having been on the recipient of being the person who was given a lot as a kid from people that there's no way I can repay them. There's no way I can repay all the people that helped me as a kid in a single parent home on welfare who didn't have food to eat or clothes. The Boys and Girls Clubs and, and the JCHs and Bensonhurst, all the people that would help me just get through. There's no way I can help them back. I don't know who they are. So, but the joy that out of everything I've accomplished, and I've done some really cool things here on a business level, personally, but there's nothing better than the joy of the thank you note I get even, or just to know, know that I really helped somebody. So I'm going to do it as often as I can with as many people as I can. I'm, I'm not keeping score, and I haven't. It's hard when you're in your 20s to get this wrapped around, but now that I'm in my 50s and I've been doing it for like you know 40 years, I've helped a lot of people and I feel really good about it. And I don't remember half of them and I don't care. You know, sometimes they pop up after 20 years, I get a note, which is unbelievable. But 
And if you believe in that, if you have a, a spiritual connection to just doing as much good as you can, because you put out good, you'll get back good, then boy, you're on a path to something special. Um, and it, it's not a bank account, and it's not a, the make of your car, it's none of that. You're going to be spiritually rich, and spiritually rich is a nice percentage of the whole deal. That you, you know, that's a place you'd like to be, you know, have a lot of extra money in the reserve. That's inspiring. That's powerful. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that. You mentioned Harvey McKay. I am such a big Harvey McKay fan. And and when we were talking at the LinkedIn event a couple months ago, you mentioned you had a funny story about Harvey. I don't know if it was how you met him. Well, or if there was... you know, Harvey is uh, a guy that, well, first it started off, and let's, let's start with a little bit of a negative, because people always want to know, like, have you had any setbacks? You know, where have you failed? And, <laughs> and you know, listen, life hasn't been all rosy, peachy, um, but... When I got, Hyatt was one of my dream jobs. And when I, in college, I got an accounting degree from Syracuse. I always wanted to go and uh, work in the hotel business. So Hyatt was a dream job. After three years at Hyatt, a little less than three, I had gotten three promotions. I got fired. I was devastated. My mother was always in my ear guiding me. And I call her up. I'm devastated. I'm crying. That's how upset I am about getting fired. I just, I couldn't get my arms wrapped around it. And my mother said, instead of sugarcoating it, she says, listen, Really progressive, good companies don't fire really good people. You obviously have some flaws in your game, and you have some things you need to work out and understand how relationships work. And also, you have a little problem with authority. You may have gotten on the wrong side, no matter how good a job you're doing. You have to understand the importance of relationships with your bosses and peers, and not getting on the wrong side with very, very important bosses is part of the deal when you go work. It's a valuable lesson. If I were you, you may want to take a little look at yourself and maybe work out some of those kinks. There was no sugarcoating like poor you, woes you, what else I had no. No, 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 no. Is that why you're as direct as you are? Is that the apple not I mean, falling I, far I, from I, the tree? No My mother was a very direct and, you know, didn't, didn't, uh, yeah, exactly. So I go and get every book I can go get. I'm, into, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to reprogram and I'm, I'm going to go. And, you know, I started with, you know, Dale Carnegie and Norman Vincent Peale. And I picked them all up. And, you know, one of the books I was able to pick up was Harvey McKay. And uh, I really got into his stuff. Was I mean, this uh, Dig Your Well or was it, it Shark? It, 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 I was, it was, you know, he's written so many books. I forget where the first one was, but there was a lot of him. It was McCormick, you know, what they don't teach you at Harvard Business School. That's a lot of Dale was. Carnegie. And it was Harvey over in my 20s. Just, I really got into about four or five years of realizing I've got to completely reprogram. As I was growing and going, I, I realized that even though things were starting to pop a little bit, I kept going. I didn't let it just sit, sit back in a hole. I knew that I, this wasn't going to be an overnight fix. Listen, if you have a problem, like it doesn't mean it needs to be overnight fix. You can work on something over time. So this way you pick up your head in four or five years, you fix that problem. I'm not going to fix a little bit of a chip I had on my shoulder for my entire childhood overnight. Hence, roll forward about 30 years, um, I get a call. And um, I get a call because somebody's buying my Yankee tickets. I'm in the first row by third base. And I finally ask John Langbein, who has a big ticket company in Arizona, I said, John, who the hell is buying my seats? He goes, you're not going to know him. I said, well, I just want to know. You know I would never go and to the seat and ask, but who's buying them? He goes, this guy Harvey McCann. I'm like, you're kidding me. Harvey McKay is buying my seats? I said, I got to meet him. I would never screw you, but you got to set me up to go to the seats and meet him. He goes, I'm not, you don't have to go do that. I'm going to get him on the phone now. He gets Harvey on the phone now. Next day, what do I get? Box of every one of his books, autographed, the whole thing. 
So I sent Harvey a bunch of stuff for his grandkids and everything else. We got a little rapport going. And I want Harvey to come and speak to this company like there's no tomorrow. So I call Harvey up about three months later. I said, look, whatever we got to do, but I'd really like to get you to come speak here. He goes, Brandon, I get $75,000 to speak. So it doesn't happen, and I'm working it. I'm sending some stuff for the grandkids, this, that, and everything else. And one day Harvey calls. Maybe it's it's got to be maybe a year later. He says, "I need a favor. I got this huge thing for the governor of Minnesota. I was supposed to do the silent auction. I need some products." I said, "I got you, no problem." I sent him a list. I said, "Call me if you need anything else." He goes, "You're Harvey McCain, me?" That's my line. Call me if you need anything else. I'm calling you for a favor. And you're telling me, here's this, but call me if you need anything else. So he calls me back three days later. He goes, listen, you told me to call if you need anything else. I actually need a few more things. I love the list you sent, but I need these four or five things. I said, no problem. You got it. Send it to him. Another week later, he goes by. He goes, listen, I need these two more items. And I sent him a pretty healthy list. No problem. I skate those two things. Harvey, you call me if you need anything else. My pleasure to help. Sure enough, he so he has his event. He invited me to come out. I, I couldn't make it out to the event. And he calls me. Had up. you met him? Sorry to no, cut you off. So you still never haven't met, met him. This is all. All on the okay. phone. Well. Never met him. Three months later, four months later, he goes, Brand, I just got to tell you. You sent me all this stuff, expecting nothing back? I says, my pleasure. First of all, I've read all your books. I'm a big fan of yours. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to help you. If you need something else, please call me. You know, I know you're calling me to thank me, but you don't need to. I'm happy to help you. You need something else, you call me tomorrow. You got it. He goes, I cannot believe this attitude. <laughs> he goes, you're unbelievable. You're Harvey McKay and me. Like, this is unbelievable. I said, listen, I'm happy to help you. And I mean it. He goes, I'm coming to speak to your company. And that's where it all got started. So it, this dialogue, all of a sudden, Harvey comes and speaks, and and he gives one of the great speeches. The first time I meet him, it's unbelievable. I am in my heyday. I'm in the first row. And as he's coming to the end of his speech, he drops. I mean, completely drops and faints. Hits his head right by my feet, blood everywhere. I mean, I was so scared. And so he goes to the hospital, and he had some kind of... Uh, he had been to China and he had some kind of, you know, something going on with his bloodstream. So thank God he ended up being okay. Went to the Mayo Clinic. So I'm tracking. I'm keeping an eye on him. So I call my two months later. So Harvey, I just want you to know I've been tracking. I'm just glad you're okay. But do you think you can come back and finish the speech? He's like, you're unbelievable. I said, I got to tell you, man, you scared the hell out of like over 125 employees at Steiner Sports. I, I mean, can you come back? And, and sure enough, he came back. He had the bandages on and. And he comes back, gives an unbelievable speech, second speech. And we, and we really did it on a trade and some stuff. So he really went lightweight on it all and did the right thing. And sure enough, about two years after that, he started a roundtable with only 25 people in it. And it was a really who's who roundtable. And I was a little hesitant to join it, but it was the best thing I ever did because I really learned how to put all these thoughts. And, and I was working on a second book and they helped me with that. You got our balls was the second book. And that's my relationship with Harvey. And then that was four years ago. We've been in like this round table, uh, been at Harvey's homes and have been at games with Harvey and could call him up, you know, in a cell anywhere. I mean, I have that kind of relationship. Met Ken Blanchard through this and a whole bunch of other really incredibly spiritual gurus that not only was it great to meet and understand their thinking, but when we do the round tables, we spend a whole day with these people. And she so really get to get to know them, and you know, like a John Gray, you know, took him to a, a game and got to meet John. John came up to the office for all day. Men are from Mars, women from Venus. Yeah. And you know, you meet a, a, a guru like that, somebody who's had an effect on so many, like a Ken Blanchard or a John Gray, and they're just naming a couple. I mean, that that's the stuff. Like, what a blessing! And it comes from. Call me if you need anything. I'm happy to help you. 
you know, and most people have a hard time playing that game. So that's kind of how it all comes together. I'm not a huge reader, but I do read through a lot of books. I'm always, I'm, you know, I say learners are earners, and I, I think readers are leaders. I do believe those two things, and I do try my best to watch a lot of YouTube and read through a lot of different things just to kind of constantly mix up and, and grow from what I know. During this roundtable, were you noticing certain common themes amongst some of these wildly successful people? There's no question. I mean, uh, you know, I've heard some of the, the best speakers in the country uh, come and speak, along with the 25 to 30 of the roundtable members that were all in their own right. I think, you know, when I, if I were to sum it all up, it's like, stop selling and start serving and start solving. It's not about the value you take, as I said earlier, but the value you give. Most people are thinking about the value they're getting, not what they're giving. And you got to stop selling and you got to start thinking along the lines of serving and solving. I think that everything I've learned is like, if you can help people solve a problem or if you're looking to be a problem solver, it's hard not to become relevant. You know the people in your life that are helping you when you have a problem, you're not getting rid of them, they're on your speed dial. I think that was the one main common denominator, which was about, you know, learn how, you know, your approach, your intent, is very important, you know, and you need to make sure you're clear about what your intent is with as much as what you do as you can so that people understand that why you're in it. And it's okay to be in it for the money. You know, sometimes I tell people, so listen, my intent, I'm in it for the money. I came here to do some business. I need to make some money with you. And you know, listen, you know, I would do anything for you, but today I'm here. My intent is is all about capitalization and making money. I'm trying to sell you something. And it's okay to be that way. You know, it's, that's part of it. But show your intent and make sure that you're not one-dimensional on your intent because serving and solving will always lead to, you know, great, great relationships and and usually great sales if that's the case or great service if that's what you're providing. That's, that's awesome. You talk about commitment and you got to have balls. That's the theme. That's really what it, that's a fair. Yeah. You know, I was a little confused when I wrote, you got to have, I listen, every time I've written a book, I go back and go, oh, that was a great message, but I think I've learned more from that. And and I was very big on commitment as opposed to passion, especially when I'm talking to younger kids or, and people that are just younger in their careers, they're looking for this like passion potion. And I'm like, if you're looking for that, boy, I mean, you're, you're going to be a long time. And, you know, and everybody wins a lottery ticket every now and then. But I think everything starts with commitment. But now this new book that I'm writing, you know, you know, Living Your Life on Purpose, which will come out in June. And I haven't talked that much about this, but I'll talk about it with you. And that is, I mean, I think commitment is critical, which commitment leads to passion, not passion to commitment. But I think everything starts with your purpose. Because purpose, when you have a purpose, and it doesn't have to be a huge purpose. Not everything has to be monumental purpose. It's like you want to lose weight. You need a purpose. You want to maybe into some new clothes you have. You want to look good for the prom. You want to look good for a wedding. That's a purpose. You know, for me, like three quarters of everything great that's ever happened to me has started with a purpose. Because purpose is like the roots underneath the tree. And there's these, these seeds that you have to put down. And then from those seeds, God knows what happens. You know, from purpose comes imagination, determination, creativity, um, diligence, thoughtfulness. I mean, there's nothing that can stop you when you have a purpose. Yeah. You know, so I think it's, that's, so when I say commitment, it's, it's purpose will lead you to an understanding and a whole bunch of those things I just mentioned. And that will lead you to commitment. And only then all that mixed in the bowl, okay, now we get to passion. Is it going to be written in the same form? I mean, you, you got to have balls with such a. I, I read it in 
I think like two days. It was such an easy read. It was such a fun read. Well, and thank it was just, you. Yeah, uh, I think same so. style. Is it? The- yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's all about. And I think one of the things that I that I struggle with a lot of speakers and people that write books is like, let me hear about your shit. Let me hear about like what's going on with you. Are you going to be transparent about? The ugliness or the, or or the not so good stuff in your life because that's what makes the books great is when you can talk about both stuff, you know. I could talk about sitting on a train and really depressed. My mother had passed away a week prior, and selfishly say, I just wanted to get off the damn train. I just did not want to take the train to work every day, you know. I I, I needed to go figure out a way to buy a car, and that's that's how starting a collectible started. Like everything great that's happened came from. Sometimes it's selfish needs. Sometimes it's it's a monetization impulse. You know, I'd like to get a car. I want to maybe get a box of candy bars. You know, whatever it is. You know, for me, everything starts with purpose. I, I think the purpose is critical. I think this book will be transparent. I'm not afraid to talk about the dark, the good, the bad, the ugly. I'm, what I've incorporated is some really easy stories to g- grab that I've been able to mentor with players, either players have mentored me or I've mentored some pretty big name players and coaches and talk about some of those stories that people would never, ever imagine had occurred. Stories that have nothing to do with the game, but stuff that happens outside the game. Because, you know, when you're struggling, you're having an argument with someone, it's never about what you're struggling about. It's always something underneath of it. Nobody gets sick. It's not about what you got sick with. It's kind of what led you to get sick or what led you to get hurt. You know, you hurt your knee, but that's not really what happened. Something else was wrong, and it led you to your knee going wrong, getting all banged up. So, you know, when you have an argument with your wife, it's never what you're arguing about is the problem. It's kind of what led up to that argument is what you got to go figure out. I call it the smoke behind the wall. Mm. So that's kind of what this book is about. It's, it's a whole series of stories that says, hey, man, you're cool. You got problems. You get you got some diversions. You got some bumps in the road. And we're all feeling that. All of us, no matter how much wealth or success you may appear to have or someone else may appear to have, we're all going through the same stuff. Mm. And this is kind of how you use it to your advantage. So mentoring, you've mentioned that a couple of times. A lot of, I think, a mentor is so valuable. And there's talk nowadays, there's kind of like the the thing that they're talking about these days is group mentors. And I don't know, I'm, I'm on the fence on that, but I do believe a mentor is important. Had, did you have one? And I guess this is a couple fold question. Um, well, it's first, did you have a mentor? Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, I had some great, great people that helped me along the way that were monumental. And But you got to look for it. I mean, I, you know, I think people are like, well, I don't know, how do you get one? But you got to look for it. And you got to ask. Um, but, you know, and then sometimes you're blessed with some people that, you know, it could be an aunt, it could be just a neighbor, you know. But it's amazing how many kids don't even think of that. You know, I mean, people don't even think of, like, asking the neighbor. I've had, you know, I have a full-court basketball court in my house, indoor and outdoor. So I've played basketball with every one of my kids' friends. And I'm a pretty well-known guy in the neighborhood. I mean, it's not a secret of what I do. It's Steiner Sports. And these kids in high school, college, I'm playing with these kids for six, seven, eight years. None of them have pulled me inside, Brandon, can you explain some things to me? And but now they're all calling me. They've all graduated. Now they're calling me when they need me. But at the end of the day, they had, they're passing the ball to me. They've been on my teams. They've been in my house for hours. And instead of just hanging, saying, Mr. Steiner, can I? they say I'm just hanging out watching the game. Why not come over and just talk to me? I say, you mind if I talk to you for a few minutes? And, I'm, and listen, these are all good kids. I'm, not, I'm just saying the general mindset is not to even look what's in front of you and take what's right there. Instead, you're going to go into some room and network with a bunch of people 
that you don't know and hope that you're going to get wisdom and advice and find somebody that's going to help you with a bunch of strangers. I mean, that's really shitty odds. That's really shitty odds. I mean, I, I've never found a lot of success in that. I just rather just get to know the people that I know already a little bit better and see who they know, which is now a thing called LinkedIn. But back then I was already working that angle. You know, back when I was in my teens, I always worked not only the people that I knew, but trying to figure out who they knew and ask if they would introduce me to those people. And I kept track of it before there were databases and computers. I had my phone book still to this day in my offices that I kept when I was a kid that were color coded. So I know how I met these people with little notes. Now, I mean, I don't know what your excuse could be. Right? I say it's not who you know, not what you know, but what you know about who. And there's so many people that know so many people, but they don't know anything about them. And it's sad because that's the best networking you can do. Agreed. You made a comment. Oh, I forgot the exact wording, but it's essentially, it's the people that you know you don't know. And it was so true. I uh, And then I went digging. After hearing you speak, I went digging because I write all the time, you know, ideas and I've got hundreds of pages. You probably weren't expecting me at that length. And nobody saw no. me coming. No, no idea. And that's why I love it. I love that kind of stuff. Like people, like, I I don't want to mention who this is, but I had a friend of mine who was like, well, I would never go on that board because there's nobody on that board that's on my level. That's the thinking that is, is going to send you in a bad direction. So I love going to random yeah, things. I don't look at myself above or beyond. You know, time is a constraint, but I love Papa. Like that, the guy who put that on, great guy, by the way. You know, he never saw me come. He didn't know what I was going to bring, what I was going to do. But I knew that the 25 or 40 people that were at that thing were going to be in for a treat. And they wouldn't expect normally a guy like me is going to go into a LinkedIn thing like that. But why wouldn't I? And I love that element of surprise and being, again, being who you really are, not who, you know, this aura of this or your title or be who you really are. And you know something? Hey, why why wouldn't I go to a LinkedIn get together with about 35 complete strangers that... Again, I don't know what I was going to get out of that. I don't know, and I don't care. I know that I could bring value to a conversation that we had that night, and I love that. You know, Jesse's here, one of my, one of the kids that's mentoring me these these past six seven months, who's a high school senior, and and it's like that's I want I want him if there's anything he's going to learn from me is like don't ever forget the element of being who you are, and the element of surprise and just doing really good things, even if you don't get anything back from it. Yeah, because you will. It will. Jesse, you're very I mean, we're fortunate. sitting here yeah. now, so yeah. anybody going to that, we wouldn't have met. But you know, it's like I don't, I'm not keeping score. I'm cool, but I, I love that most people are like, how's this guy even here? I'm like, it was an opportunity, and I figured it would be a fun thing to do. Yeah, and you were great. And I, mean, I, and I, yeah. I learn, I learn every time I'm in every one of these kind of settings. Yeah. So what, back to even mentoring. What is it that you? Yeah. Look- so I got to interrupt you. One, I'm sorry. Yeah. I just got to say one thing. If you want a formula for mediocrity, then hang out with people who do what you do. They're all on the same level. They're in the same industry. And I see it all the time. You know, the kids on the football team are hanging out with the kids on the football team. The the road to mediocrity is just hanging out with the people that are all in your business, your industry, your team, kind of the same age doing what you're doing. If you can't mix up your flock and hang with different people that maybe you're even uncomfortable with or you have no idea what they're even about, but they're completely differently thinking and differently acting than what you do, that's how you become or you're on your road to becoming extraordinary. Because you need that. You need that stuff. Anybody who's made soup knows it's all the different kinds of mixture of stocks and different vegetables and different stuff you could put in there that gives you the great soup. 
not just the obvious recipe. It's the same thing with yourself. Like you got to go hang out with odd and interesting and different kinds of people that you have no interest in even, but understand their perspective and see how they see you. One of the most invaluable assets, and I've been that way since I'm a kid. I just not something I've picked up recently. I've been that way literally since I'm literally six, seven, eight years old, always hanging out with a very different kind of group of kids all the way through college and everything else. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, but that was well worth it's, it. It's, it's it's such an important lesson that a LinkedIn hangout is like, yeah, I'm not going to hang out with, I've already hung out with the best and biggest names of athletes. Do I need to go do that more? How am I going to learn? I mean, I'm always learning stuff from all these athletes that I'm hanging with, but I could learn more from being in a room of 30 people that are in their 20s trying to figure it out. Well right. said. Well, well put. My God, you made me lose my train of thought. But Sorry, I know. You were oh, good. I but... was, I was, but it didn't matter because whatever's coming out of your mouth is, <laughs> is going to be so much more valuable. It's trying to wrap up, I think, on the mentor side because you're mentoring a lot of people and it's your time, which is the most important commodity that we have. It's really the only way you can offend me is just to waste my time. So, do you look for the mentee to guide you in what they're looking to get out of the relationship? Or do you just say, hey, listen, this is what you got to do? It varies. I mean, you know, I have a very wide variety of people that I'm helping at this juncture. I mean, I've got head coaches. I've got people that have pretty significant roles in companies. I've got kids that are in high school. I've got kids that are in college. I've got, you know, a lot of different variations. And I take on, I look at it like I'm here to serve you. I'm here to help you. You want me to give you my cheesecake recipe? If that helps you, I'll give you my cheesecake recipe. You want me to explain to you how I make money at Steiner? Or you want me to give you some ideas of what you could be doing differently than what you are doing? I'll do that. You know, I'm, I'm a consultant. You know, really, when you when you coach, you got to be a consultant. I'm not a parent. I'm not here to hold your hand every day. I'm not here to check how much money is in your bank account. I'm here to serve you and help you get to the next level uh, wherever that may be, if that's getting into a college or that's trying to figure out how to get through high school and get the most out of high school or pick the right college or if it's just trying to get your next coaching job, change careers, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I'm here to serve that and consult. And there's a big difference between, you know, managing versus consulting or parenting versus consulting. So the consulting part comes as, as opposed to me telling you what I think. It's you coming to me, asking me some questions about concerns you have in your life and me trying to give you the best directions and answers based on your questions. Mm. Tell me about Steiner. And we, I mean, I know what the company is, but how would you define Steiner? I mean, it's simple. I mean, uh, as crazy as it is, first of all, it's 30 years old. We've acquired over 25 million autographs. We've probably done well over 50,000 appearances. And that's basically our company. We procure athletes for all kinds of PR, marketing, advertisement, all kinds of different things, trade shows, advertisements, commercials. We do licensing and autograph products, which most people will know us more for on SteinerSports.com. We have 33,000 SKUs of products that we've created using athlete autographs and their likenesses. And then we have these team partnerships like Yankee Steiner, Mets Steiner, or MSG Steiner, or Red Sox Steiner, where we partner up with the teams and we sell their game-used products that are used in the games, balls, bases, lineup cards, jerseys, those kinds of things, which are pretty popular these days. Those are the three main things that our company does. And one of the underlying things of all what I just said is, obviously, SteinerSports.com is a very active website uh, that has an auction platform as well. So if you need to buy, if you're into collecting or you just need to buy a great sports gift, obviously, SteinerSports.com is a great 
place to go do that. And our auctions, our auction platform is, is amazing. If you have a company, you really need to grow, you or come out with a new product or you're trying to grow it. We're a company that you can consult with after 30 years and finding the right athlete. I think these days it's not as hard to find an athlete. It's not that hard to find an athlete to, to work with. It's finding the right athlete that has the right stuff that can actually help your company from a brand standpoint or in some of the other aspects you may need for marketing and advertising. I think you touched on a really important point in terms of making the match. How often do you have to turn away athletes that you don't feel comfortable uh, putting your name behind to represent or that you just don't think are going to be able to? Never. I mean, I, I don't turn any athletes away because everybody has their strengths. And no matter how weird you think an athlete is, unless they're just an outright bad person and, and just have done really bad things, then there's, there is nothing to talk about. Which, by the way, just because somebody's a really good athlete doesn't make them a really good person. <laughs> just means they're a really good athlete. There's a lot of bad people that become really good athletes. There's still bad people that are really good athletes. Just like there's a lot of bad people that become lawyers. And they're just bad people that are lawyers. I mean, it's pretty much every industry. That's why people are shocked. Can you believe how much money that person makes? Yeah, I believe it. That's what that industry pays. But it doesn't make them a good person. It doesn't make them a person that's marketable and they're maybe missing the boat on a whole bunch of other opportunities if they would kind of lean over to the other side of it and try to become a good person. Some talents can change, but most can't. I mean, uh, you know, listen, uh, success and fame really just broadens and broadcasts who you really are. So, you know, you find somebody who's really highly successful, it just ends up broadcasting who they really are as a person. And we've seen celebrities, movie stars who are like just complete jerks. It's, they were jerks before they became successful. You know, the two things kind of work parallel, Yeah, I guess my point. And so, you know, I don't turn away a lot of talent unless they've done something that's just incredibly wrong and they don't get it and they don't want to give it. But, you know, most players I hang in with, uh, even if they have done something wrong, because we're all better than our worst mistake. And, and sometimes players, because of who they are, they make one mistake and it's so magnified. And I'm a, I'm a person who believes in, in forgiveness. I think that we could all give people a second chance. And a lot of times that second chance can be extremely, extremely helpful in, in community and service if the, if the athlete really gives a hoot about what people think and they really give it a hoot about you know what they can actually do to change other people's minds about what they did that was really stupid. Yeah, I feel bad for so, a lot of athletes. I feel that some of them, because of spotlight, you know, that a lot of them are introverts and they well, get it's a cast. lot of pressure. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure, just as it is for a lot of people that have some success at, at some point. You know, if you've had some success, it doesn't only mean athletes, but you know, anybody who's had some success with a company or a product, it's a lot of pressure. Success doesn't end all; it just begins. A lot of responsibility and accountability for. And, and, you know, a lot of people have a hard time stepping up to the plate on all that. It's a lot to take in. And it's just why you need mentors and good people around you to kind of help you sort a lot of that out. And that's probably where more of the mistake. The mistake doesn't get made with a lot of the talent that I see. The mistakes are kind of common and obvious. It's the people they have around them that even make those mistakes and problems worse. You know, where like, you know, sometimes I've had the ability to be around an athlete because I don't give a hoot. I will tell them. Hey, you've lost your mind, and it may be over there somewhere in that garbage pail. Maybe if you dig long enough, you can find it. But you should find it, whether it be here or somewhere quickly, because it's not getting any better from here. But once in a while, I get the opportunity to tell a player that. But, you know, listen, there's only one of those players that exist, and most agents and, and people around those players are afraid of the, the give and get back. And if they tell them the truth and the athlete doesn't respond well to that, they lose the relationship, and they're not confident they can gain it back. Mm. What about, in my opinion, I don't even know if this is my opinion. It's probably fact that 
when you're at the top of the game, that's when you've got the most leverage. That's your best opportunity to be giving. Uh, so I used to own an, an executive recruiting firm and a lot of executives, that, you know, that, that portfolio managers at hedge funds that were making all this money, they were so caught up in themselves and they felt indestructible that they never, you know, hey, they just wished people away. And when that crisis hit back in 2007, 2008, amazing how their tune changed, but it was too late. They lost that, you know, not only did they, when they had this leverage where they could have been providing the most value and giving the most, now they're in a position where they need it. You got to differentiate net value and self-value. And mm. I think people get confused about just because they have a lot of money, it doesn't make, give you a lot of self-value. And I think that it's nice to have a nice net value. You know, it's nice to have a lot of money in the bank, but I think it's probably equally as nice, if not more nice and more important to have self-value. And you should try to be building up both of those simultaneously. And, and self-value is getting into your communities and actually doing something, not just a check, but taking an interest and caring about what's going on with situations in your community. And even then some, depending on your level of wealth, the kind of impact you can have. I think what happened is a lot of people got focused so much on their net worth and they, they forgot about their self-worth and realized that when that some of that money gets goes away, whatever, now what are you left with? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. So, you know, for me, it's like, you know, I love that in my communities and I'm in New Rochelle here and New Rochelle is important. You know, Thursday, I'm going to go speak to the high school kids and I'm going to give up a morning of my time because there's been some problems over there. And, I, you know, I care about this community. It's, it's where my business has been for 17 years. And if I have a business here, then I think it's an, you have a responsibility. Now, growing up in Brooklyn, you you walk down the street, every one of your neighbors treated you like that you were their kid. There was no, like, now in this day and age, I don't know what would happen. Like, if you were acting out of line, whatever, a neighbor would grab you by the neck, give you some a verbal beating or whatever else. I mean, there was no, everybody looked at every kid on the block as if it was theirs. And so, you know, I, I know that there's there's some guidelines now. Not, you can't do that. But what you can do is just care about your community. There should be an advantage. I feel like in my community, I'm, I'm the smallest guy in Scarsdale. I mean, there's so many successful people and great people in Scarsdale that have done amazing things in their trades. I just want, when I leave Scarsdale, I want the kids and the community to be better because I've been in that community. So I'm still bringing a player to the Little League, even though my kids haven't played Little League for 12 years. But I still bring a player because I can. I know it makes the Little League better. I still bring go over to the high school and speak to the kids if they ask because there should be an advantage if somebody reached a certain level like I have. I want there to be an advantage to the kids because, hey, Brandon Steiner lives in Scarsdale, and I have an advantage. I can learn a little bit about sports marketing, or he comes to my school and talks, or he donates stuff to our charity stuff. That's the advantage of me being in Scarsdale. So I ask people, what's the value you bring to your community? What is it you do for your community? Not what your community can do. Everybody's worrying about the street light. They're worrying about the, the streets being paved, the community pool. But what value you bring to your community? What value, why is your community better because you're in it? And I tell you, so <laughs> self-worth, net worth, I'm like, hey, start with right your neighborhood. And not just what's good for your property or because you have a problem, but look at the community problems and weigh in. And by the way, I think there's a lot of people doing some great work, even in Scarsdale. I mean, as wealthy and as successful as some of these people are, it's a great community. Do I think a lot of people could do more? Well, yeah, I do. But I start with being the example. I want to do as much as I can. I, I try that. to set that example. You know, I probably shouldn't be using this guy's name because the times aren't right. But the quote's so powerful and I think it speaks to, to what you're doing and just what most people should be doing. But 
Kevin Spacey had a quote. It says, uh, if yeah. you're fortunate enough, you, are you familiar with the quote? Yeah, with you're on your head. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you're fortunate enough to make it to the yeah. penthouse, uh, yeah. don't forget to send the elevator back down. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's unfortunate Kevin was such a talented actor, and I know all the details. And we've seen a lot of problems right now with people maybe being a little abusive with some of their power and authority. And with, with power and authority comes a lot of responsibility comes a lot of opportunity, comes a lot of accountability. And that's what people don't always realize, that it's not a free ride all of a sudden when you got some power and authority and some money. It actually, the, the volume of what you're now responsible for gets turned up in most cases. The goal is you try to balance it out and just remember who you are, where you came from, and try not to change because it's the person who you were is what got you there. Mm -hmm. And that's the person you want to try to always, the core of that person you want to be. Yeah. You're good with your quotes, whether it's the, the ones that are just free yeah. flowing for you or it's just me. I mean, my yeah. kids kill me about it. You know, yeah. like that. You're a quote machine. I'm like, listen, it is who I am. Like, you know, you don't like it, don't write it down. But meanwhile, when you're with your friends, I see you grabbing my quotes and you're stealing all my material. So, like, which side of your mouth are you talking yeah. to right now? Because it's unbelievable. But you're right. I, I tend to over dramatize with the quotes, but I think it's just easy for people to digest. It's these snack, these little snackable little nuggets are easier for people to kind of get. I agree. Yeah. And and you've got so many and if I had to <laughs> if I had to boil down one and I don't know if it's necessarily a direct quote but it's just one that that's kind of again getting back to the theme of things that you talk about, you talk about that your business is based on a collection of memorabilia, but you're most proud of your collection of people. Yeah. So I'm a collector of of motivation and people and, and ideas. I've been a collector of all sorts, not just memorabilia or but I think it's important to, to value that. You know, I think sometimes people don't necessarily value things till it's too late, till they lose them. And I think it's important to value. You know, you value relationships, value the fact that you met somebody, value that you're sitting in class next to someone, value that. And if you put value on it, then you'll see some of the value that goes along with that. Um, I mean, it's amazing how many times I'm sitting in, a, I go speak at a class in college and I'm like, uh, I'll ask, what's winning for you? And they go, well, I want to be this uh, money manager. I'm like, let me ask you something. Do you know what this person next to you, you know what his name is? No. Do you know what his father does? No. I said, let's just see. You're three inches from the kid. Uh, Joe, like, what's your father do? Oh, oh, he's in banking. Oh, he's a CEO of a bank. He's three inches from you. Like, value the fact that two of you are sitting here and believe that there's some divine intervention to ultimately what you dream of what winning is. And here's a kid sitting next to you whose dad is a prominent banker. That would make sense for you probably to meet while you guys, I mean, who's not going to want to meet uh, my son's friend? I mean, if my son came and said, Dad, I need you to meet a friend of mine, like, I'm going to say no. <laughs> and this is what this is what I'm trying to, this is one of the messages in my new book, but also I'm trying to convey to kids and, and people of all sorts. Like, get to know the people that are right there in front of you, that are at the desk next to yours, that are living next door or above you instead of just complaining because the noise, uh, uh, maybe they make a little noise one morning with their shoes. See who they are. See what they do. Ask those questions. I agree so much. I tell people all the time never to judge people because more often than not, it's the guy that's in the suit that's working for the guy that's in jeans. Yeah, especially you know? these days. It's, <laughs> it's possible to tell who's what and what's <laughs> who know. on that basis. Yeah. Um, there's a template that I created. It's similar to like a, like a database, but I call it the sphere of influence. And again, to your point, what the sphere of influence is, is it's a template that helps people break down the relationships because a lot of times you don't realize who is in your circle already or who is in your sphere like you said like person that's sitting next to you at class i mean i'm talking about even the person at the deli that you go to get your coffee every day 
who you know think about you know who that's their the first t- book the business playbook you know the guy you spend money with is seeing 300 other people the same day exactly and you never know who he's waiting getting coffee for it could be the person you're trying to interview with tomorrow 100 <laughs> percent. it's exactly so again treat yeah. people treat everybody well see what you can do pay it forward and don't ask yeah so if you were me right now sitting in this in this seat what questions would you be asking you or me i should say I think you covered, I mean, the core of a big part of who I am. And I, I think there's always a question of like, what's next, you know, for me, you know, 58, we've had some, you know, that there's a reset button. That's, I think a lot of people in their fifties are facing right now. You know, we could always talk about, there's a million things we could talk about, but I think the very common question I get asked is like, what's next and what keeps you motivated? What keeps you driving? And it's a, it's a big problem right now because if you're in your fifties, you know, back when I was a kid, you know, you, you were going to die around 63 and expire. So if you're in your 50s, you really think about chilling and, you know, maybe just kind of getting some travel in there before you moved on. The problem, it's not in your DNA to chill. Well, the problem is now is, is that, you know, the average age is 81, 83. So I've got another 25 years left. You know, I mean, that's the way I look at it. I'm getting into a third period of a hockey game right now. If my life was a hockey game. So I, I understand that I'm not living forever. But I'm not all of a sudden now, I'm not getting into the two-minute warning. And there's a big difference. And I think that there's a lot of people struggling that really haven't planned it out that are in their 50s that need to hit the reset button. And it's not about retiring. It's about refiring. It's about taking your hand off the control, alternate, and delete. Uh, you know, as you get into your 50s, it's not about just jumping into a new career necessarily, but it's about reinventing yourself within the career you're in now and thinking about it differently and getting out and start talking to some people that are just – doing different things. A lot of people want to, once you're in your 50s, you, you know, you're at a certain level and they don't want to start from the beginning. So the key thing is how do you start from the beginning simultaneously while so you don't have to just jump jobs and start at $30,000 a year when you used to making two fifty, let's say. And I think that's, for me, that's been my mantra is I'm, I think I have a good vision. I always like to think ahead. So I've been working for four or five years diligently uh, on my books, on my platform, my blogs, uh, building a, a platform so I can go maybe around this country and speak. And I've got probably two or three other book ideas even right now that I'm thinking about along with the book I'm writing. Um, I'm constantly thinking about what's next, what else, so that I'm not all of a sudden I want to get to a point in time where I don't have choices. If I don't want to do that, I can go home, pack it up, chill out, watch games, and just golf or hang out and go on vacation with my wife. I have that ability. I've done well. But that's not what I want. You know, I, I'm going to work till probably the day I die because I love working. I love serving. I love helping people. I love creating. But I think for people out there, when they're thinking about their what's next is, for a lot of you, it isn't really just going to some island and chilling out. That's not euphoria. A lot of people get very confused about that. But the euphoria is having choices and not being forced to have to retire or forced to have to do something you don't want to do. That's what you don't want to do as you get older. And in order to avoid that, you got to stay current. You got to keep up with things that sometimes are very uncomfortable keeping up with and plan your next thing simultaneously. When you were 20, you were going to school, you're working on a bar on a Friday night and you had a day job. I mean, you do whatever it took to get whatever it is you want to get going, going. Now, because you're 50, if you want to take the same mindset, Oh, well, you don't want to work on the weekend. Oh, you don't want to work at night. Oh, you don't want to. Well, where are you going? You want to know why you're not going anywhere because you're not doing anything. So, but if you're willing to kind of, you know, every Sunday I watch three, four hours of YouTube for years now. So I've watched hundreds of hours of YouTube. I'm not just a good speaker by accident. 
You know, I've watched hundreds of speeches and I've studied speaking. I've gotten coaching. I'm not just expecting to go because I know a lot about sports and sports marketing to be a great speaker one day. I've done the work. I'm, I'm four or five years into learning how to become a better speaker and what it takes to be a speaker that's influential out there, that I can get paid to make money speaking. In my case, you know, the money for my speaking, most of it goes to charity. But whatever I choose to do, I don't think you want to go slide from doing something really well to something you're not doing well and don't really know a lot about. But it takes a bunch of years. So if you're 50, it, it may take five, six years for you to be really good at something else again. That's what it took the first time, that what you're good at, right? Yeah. So I think people misunderstand. They just think because you're good at one thing, you can slide into another. And then they get disappointed when they can't. Who are some of the better speakers that you've learned from or that have impressed you? Well, I love Ken Blanchard. I mean, you can't get enough of him. I love Wing It. You know, Larry Wing It, he's crazy and, and has an interesting perspective, but he goes out and gets it. You know, Sam Richter is an amazing speaker. Um, Dave Horsehager, Ken Dicek, amazing. To you, what makes them amazing? To you? I think the most powerful thing as a speaker is when you walk out of there going, you know, I never thought about it that way. Besides the fact that you learn something, which is every speaker, you should learn something. But more importantly, if you, I, I can get you to think differently about your situation, about how you view the world or view life. I've won as a speaker. There's only so much you can remember when a speaker speaks. I don't know how much people are going to remember in this conversation I have with you, but I guarantee you when you walk away, if you've listened to this pod, you say, you know, I never, that guy thinks about things differently. I never thought about it that way. That's my goal as a speaker. And I think all those speakers came up with different ideas and theories and thoughts that I never thought about it that way. Hmm. What advice would you have for me? You know, my goal is to change the mindset of, of the people that I speak with that listen to my message about more of the, the giver's game. Just all about, like you said, like, you know, giving. I mean, you, set, you yeah. set the example. Obviously, you know, you want to talk with as many people that give to give. And also, you know, to get better at it, find the people that are doing this and are the best at it. Like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like, I, I've stolen so many ideas from Oprah. Oprah's been a tremendous mentor of mine. I never met her, and nor I may, may never, but I've watched her show for 25 years, watched her channel, read her magazine. I think she's a master marketer. I think she's a master giver and a master game changer with getting people to think about it differently. And I've learned a lot from the way she presents it. But it's not only about coming up with the idea that changes everything, but it's about how you present that idea so that people can receive it. She's a master of figuring out how to get people a message in a way that they can receive it. So it's not important to only come up with the idea, but how are people going to receive it? She's a master. Whenever I get into anything, I want to go to the best and find out how they did it, why they did it, and then I can move backwards. So, you know, getting with a Harvey McKay, getting with a Ken Blanchard, getting with a John Gray. I mean, these are not people that I only met. These are people that stayed at my house, that, that I've spent days with. Like, that's not, that's the hard part. Can you find value enough to go, that it's worth it for those people to come meet with you and then share their ideas and how they got to where they are. So it's not just a simplistic conversation, but you can really get to the heart of it. Like with John Gray, it took almost 24 hours to get there, but I got it. You know, it was important because that's a guy who filled Radio City on a regular basis, those kinds of venues, when people were talking about how to build and fix their relationships with their spouses. It was a very important topic 20 years ago. And he's one of the most renowned speakers on relationships, marriages, sex. Yeah, a day with him is invaluable. I mean, that's like going up to the white pearly gates almost. You know, because <laughs> you think about how important yeah. your marriage and relationships are, and this guy has some secrets to that sauce. So whatever it is you're doing, figure out who's doing what you're doing the absolute best and study them. 
I mean, and study them and study them. And at some point when you're ready, you'll figure out a way to meet them. And they'll give you the secrets to the sauce. And then you'll find yourself not working so hard to try to figure it out. You're just working hard just to do it. That's powerful. You, you have a million people in your Rolodex, very impressive people. Is there anyone in particular that you're most impressed with? And what is it about them that you're most impressed with? I mean, there's, there's so many, I mean, um, you know, that I've been grateful enough to meet and learn from. Uh, it's just amazing, you know, from a Randy Levine, who is the president of the Yankees, or Brian Cashman, general manager, Frank Bisignato, a CEO of First Data, Joel Pomara used to be a, a CEO and chairman of City. These are just a few off the top of my head that are just, I mean, I couldn't even fit into their suitcase. I, their wisdom, the knowledge, their people skills, their leadership skills are amazing. And, you know, you learn from them in the relationships you have, and you learn. And it's amazing, like, what they've accomplished. Sometimes people take people like that for granted. But behind the scenes, as my son always said, you know, Dad, I'm a person too, you know. And those, all those people are people too. And uh, when you get past the wall and you realize how they operate and how they're able to motivate and lead, that's the stuff you can grab and it's priceless. You can't pick up a book. You know, you just, you know, when you go into Brian Cashman's war room, it's like, look at Brian, he did this, he did that. I'm like, when you go into his war room, you see the level of intensity and his a level of focus and preparation. That's what leads you to go get all these young kids in the right spots at the right time and then do all the things he's able to do and keep the Yankees on a top level. It's not an accident and luck. It's a serious strategy, and if you can get past the wall and, and get to hang with a guy like Brian and see him operating, then you realize. So, like, for me, I'm always trying to get behind the wall and, you know, to get to interesting people like this. And I've been blessed to, to find a lot of these people. Uh, obviously, I'm owned by Omnicom, which is a, you know, $30 billion company, very big company. So, you know, a guy like John Rand, who's the CEO, is a, is a master orchestrator of putting some of the best brands together underneath one roof, which he's done in Omnicom uh, extremely well for a long time, uh, to say the least, and uh, has served a lot of good, you know, in, in finding a lot of good practices when you get that together to serve companies with great marketing and advertising practices. So people along the ways like that, a Randy Weissenberger, who was the CFO, was kind of a rabbi for me, brilliant guy as well. So it's been a, a great run. I mean, so many different, you know, you meet a Derek Jeter, a Mariano Rivera, I mean, not me, but you work with for 20 on years, like you learn about the secrets to their sauce about um, there's no such thing as a big game and consistency over time which is really what it takes to be extraordinary and great is, is, is being consistent for a long period of time and not wavering and not moving away from what, what it is you believe in and what it is you do. Those are all the key ingredients that I've been following. So when I get to the, some of these key people, I don't take it for granted, but I do dig in because I want to know, <laughs> know how they got there. And it sometimes takes a little while, and that's what I look at myself as a collector of all those kinds of people. And there's been so many. I've been very grateful, and it's probably the best, blessing I've ever had, which is, you know, started with my mom, who was amazing. The stuff that she's taught me, she was way, way ahead of her years and to all these different people I've now been able to figure out how to get into. Wow. What would you say, last question, because I've occupied your whole afternoon here. What, what are they, all these people that have been wildly successful and success, what I define, and I, I think you'd probably agree, I, I define success as living a life by design, not by default. Where, what have they given up? to get to where they are? What have they had to sacrifice? Well, there's a great book, and, and Jess, if you remember the name of this book, Brendan Bouchard, I haven't mentioned Brendan Bouchard, he's a brilliant oh, guy, and I just, I just went out for dinner with him a few weeks ago, and 
I mean, that's a guy who's a mega guy and kind of stayed with him. And eventually we went to go see Bruce Springsteen and went to dinner together. And I wanted to learn a little bit about him because I thought he was really special. Young kid. Too. And he wrote a book about extraordinary people. And I think that's really the question you mean to ask is like, you know, what are the ingredients that it, what does it take to be extraordinary? What are the gives and gets in being extraordinary? And I, I think that there's some very strong common denominators in being extraordinary. I don't think it's that confusing. A lot of it is energy. You know, where you have to, you, you are going to lose some things because you are going to go into a place that could be kind of dark. I mean, you talk to most people who have done some extraordinary. Like I've built a pretty good industry in this sports thing. I'm not responsible for the sports industry. Uh, by the way, Brendan Bouchard, High Performance Habits is the name of the book. Great book. But I think energy, you have to be willing to get into a dark place. And you may be there for a little while. Like, I'm not embarrassed to talk about, I've been in some, some almost on a level of, high level of depression. I'm in such a dark place and trying to figure something out. Or you have to have the ability to go create so much insanity, chaos around you, and not let it scare you. For some people, my wife, I don't know how you're dealing with all this. I'm like, I don't know how I would be okay if I didn't have all this. So, you know, high extraordinary people need high level of chaos. They need to be able to get into a dark place to go try to figure that out. Because that's what we do. We figure it out. And we have all this chaos and insanity around us. And we're multitasking. We got a million moving parts. We need to organize it and put it in some kind of order, which is what we do. It may take a little bit of time. And sometimes it could be very, very all-encompassing. It could be extremely draining. And that's the, you know, the, the nights when sometimes I'm at dinner and I don't remember even being at dinner. Or I'm asking my kid a question and they were just talking about that for 30 minutes prior. That's the little bit of the loss, and you got to be careful because you know that to do something extraordinary, to be exceptional, you will lose yourself at some point in time to what it is you're trying to accomplish. And you got to be careful and straddle that line for not too long as a period of time because you come home one night, your closet's empty, and your kids hate you, and you become this weirdo, which is kind of like what I feel a little bit about like jobs a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you got to be, you know, it's a fine line to the genius of it all versus. You know, trying to make sure that you keep everything somewhat intact and remember what's important. That's the battle. Yeah. Speaking of jobs, you know, it's so ironic. I don't know. You know what he's most proud of in his book? What he talked yeah. about being most proud of, of all the things. It wasn't the iPhone. You know, it wasn't even his kids. Uh, wait, did he? I don't even know if he had kids. So he was most proud of the people that he surrounded himself with. Yeah. Like he was a brilliant you know, talent acquisition. is huge. And he was just so so focused on making sure he had he was not afraid to whack people left and right to, if he can go upgrade yeah and and some of the great ones have been able to do that you know we, we hear that a lot with great leaders it says you know get rid of the bottom three and find you know f you know keep increasing your best GE Goldman yeah. Sachs same yeah. thing and, and like to your yeah. point which uh, there's a great saying it's long to hire quick to fire yeah you just got to do it yeah um thank you so much uh I you're mean, welcome I hope this uh, was yeah. what you I hope this was good and I hope uh, listening you know join me on my blog or on Facebook like me I, I answer everything by the way so people Facebook or message me on LinkedIn I do answer them all so please reach out and if you like the blog or you like this conversation I like to hear the feedback and what you agree how, with or disagree with. How does somebody do that? Give us your information. If you really go to Brandon Steiner on Facebook and just like me, that's the best place to get me, or Brandon Steiner on LinkedIn. Those are the two places I'm actively responding, although I'm on Instagram and Twitter all the time, and I'm always trying to respond as much as I can, but a more in-depth conversation. I do it with some help. I do it you know, while I'm watching TV. I do it while I'm driving or I'm on an airplane. I mean, why sit on an airplane and sit there like a mummy for three hours? You're in an airport and do nothing. 
I can't believe many people do that. Like, come prepared. I, I bring my office to the airport. I bring my office onto the airplane. I can get four hours of amazing work done and, you know, reaching out to people that never thought I'd reach out to them. And I use that time wisely. How do you stay in touch with, again, you've collected this collection of people. How do you, uh, you know, do you have a method? Yeah, I mean, I think the blog is a big part of it, obviously, especially we have so many customers and so many people responsible to help me get to this point. So I'm I'm constantly doing that. When I do go on long trips and everything, I go through my calendar. I go to see where where I've been over the last year or two and say, you know, I haven't heard from that person. I try to make it a certain uh, mission every day to reach out to a couple people, send out a couple gifts almost every day that people aren't expecting. I do two acts of kindness every day. Um, I go through my sent and deleted all the time to see who maybe I've deleted that maybe I haven't heard from or who I've sent and I didn't hear back from. I go through my calendar. I go through my uh, contacts. It's a lot of names. And I just start with A. And I just, you know, quick hello, quick text. And it takes time. But, you know, if you give a hoot and you want to keep in touch with all these people that you've collected over the years, you got to spend a little time. I think the blog helps me a lot because people feel I'm in contact with them and they feel like I'm talking to them. So the blog is, hey, here's where my head's at these days. So people kind of feel like they're in touch with me a little bit, even though they're not always in touch with me. But they are. This has been awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank my you friend. so Good much. To see you. Glad yeah. you came up. Hope you enjoyed the office, and we'll have to do it again one day. We'll do a follow-up. Oh, I'm going to hold you to that. Be careful. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If so, check out some of my others on conversationswithconnors.com. If you're someone looking to build a business, increase your sales, or make a career change, go to networkwise.com. There, you'll have access to a bunch of resources that can help you get started. Thanks again, make it a great day, and remember to always network wise.